Hi, this is Corey Turner, and along with my wife Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Today, I'm so excited to be sharing this message. I actually shared this at our city location last Sunday night, but in speaking with Pastor Stephen Candace, really feel like it's a message to bring again today. So if you've heard it already, God always brings out something unique um, each time a message is brought because he's doing something individual in the room. We are in, as a church, obviously this incredible season, right, where God's doing... I don't really know how to define it, but he's moving and we're just hanging on for dear life and staying in his shadow and trying to follow him as best we know how to. And then, of course, we're in this Sharing Jesus Confidently series. And I guess the message that I really feel to bring today is we can't share Jesus confidently if we don't know Jesus intimately. And I'm always going to bring a message about intimacy. It's who I am. It's part of my role to the church. And so I am today going to bring a message about intimacy. And I want to speak into the space of knowing Jesus intimately, which will naturally produce a lifestyle where we love to share Jesus confidently, where nothing would be a greater delight for us. So I want you to open your Bibles with me to John chapter 12. I'm going to read from verses 1 to 8. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. You know, in the Gospels, this woman appears only three times. And all three times she appears in the same posture and all three times Jesus defends her. Every time she's found in the same posture of laying at Jesus' feet, she's always copping flack for it and Jesus always stands up for her. And it's important for us to recognise that in this passage, but also in this season of revival where we're just following along behind what the Holy Spirit is doing, that when true worship takes place, heart attitudes are always exposed and revealed. And I'm finding that more often than not, this starts with me. This starts with us as individuals. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm finding in this season that I'm being fully refined. (laughs) Like every day there's something else. I'm like, okay, good. We're going there, are we, today? Um, You know, last week I was worship leading for one of our revival nights and I was home from the morning praying and um, studying and just hearing from God. And um, honestly, some of the things God was speaking to me about, I was like, wow, does this actually disqualify me from worship leading? They were thoughts about myself. 
I was thinking things about myself that he was like, Stacey, we can't actually think this way anymore. And then the enemy likes to get in in that little doorway. Oh, well, if you're thinking this way, you're disqualified from worship leading. How could you get up and lead anybody when you've got these kind of thoughts? And this was all up in my headspace that day. And I was processing that with the Lord. Well, funnily enough, my response wasn't to, you know, kind of repent and get a new mindset. <laughs> what I did was instead like, Lord, there's going to be a lot of prophets in the room tonight. Can you please make sure they don't see or know any of this about me and don't prophesy it in front of anybody else? I recently saw somebody describe the refining work of God during revival this way. If I came up to you, Jake, and said, hey, let's just pretend I hadn't drank some. This was a full bottle. And I said, Jake, I've got you some water. Um, it's 99% pure and 1% sewerage. Would you like to have a drink? Yeah, you're good. Good. Thank you for working with me. You know, the person at City on Sunday night was like, yeah, I'll have it. I was like, not helping the illustration. Nobody wants to drink 1% sewerage. Well, this is what God is actually doing in this season. He's removing impurities. He's dealing with the one percenters in our life. We are intended actually to bring living water to other people. This is part of how we share Jesus confidently, is that God purifies the inside of us and then we have a stream of living water flowing out from us to a very, very thirsty world. The purity of what is inside of us isn't just about us. It's actually about other people. It's so they can come and drink freely without toxins. It's so they can come and drink freely and receive of what Jesus is actually like. And in this season, God is calling us to be holy because He is holy. He is calling us to be set apart because He has done everything for us to live that way. This is a no compromise season. And if we can be attuned to the voice of the Lord and live like a friend, he is speaking very clearly to his people in this season. That can't stay anymore. That attitude, that thought about yourself, that thought about the church. I mean, we're talking, he's in the unspoken things now. He's not even in the hidden sideway conversations we shouldn't be having. He's all up in the thoughts and a lot in the church, we talk about the enemies up in that space, and he is, but the Holy Spirit is at, in this season. We're not thinking that way anymore about ourselves, about the church, not even about the world. We're not going to think what they think and let them inform us anymore. And the way we, Romans 12, 1 to 2, talks about this, we're transformed by the renewal of our mind aware in God's Word. So in this season when the Holy Spirit's up in our thoughts, the quickest way for you to purify your one percenters is to live in the Word. And here in our passage, we have one of the most beautiful worship moments in Scripture. We've got one woman, one laid down lover. That's the title of my message today, because I believe in this season, God is looking for people who will lay down everything. Yeah. He's not primarily looking for the most productive people, the hardest workers. He's actually looking for laid down lovers. And laid down lovers will allow him to even get into things like their thought life and to weed it out and to purify it. Yeah. 
In verse 3, we read of Mary that she took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus. She wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. You know, she wiped his feet with what is later read as a year's wages. How do we know it was a year's wages? Well, it was worth 300 denarii. In the day, the average wage was one denarii a day. Take away the Sabbaths, you get roughly a year's salary that she poured out on Jesus. And what's actually really beautiful about this is the fact that she poured it out on his feet and then wiped the dirt off his feet with her hair. It's a very intimate thing to do, right? To get down to somebody's feet with your hair. Some of us in here don't have enough hair to do that. <laughs> Apparently she did. In Jewish culture, her hair is known, a woman's hair is known as her glory. So what she did was she took her glory, she poured out a year's worth of, her perf of perfume onto Jesus' feet and she wiped the dirt off Jesus' feet with her glory. What we have here is a beautiful prophetic picture for what was soon to be reversed. Just six days later, Jesus would take the cross. He would take our dirtiness, our sin and our shame. He would receive all glory. Philippians says that because he is obedient to the point of death, he was given the name that is above every other name, that every knee would bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Ephesians 2 talks about 1 and 2, that he was raised up above every power and principality and given all glory and dominion and power. Jesus would take the cross, be given all glory. Then when he ascended to the right hand of his Father, he would send the Holy Spirit, who is our anointing. Do you see what's happening here? This woman took her glory. She wiped the dirt off Jesus, who would then take our dirt away and pour his anointing on us. And now we become the fragrance of Christ to the world around us. So not only do we need to be pure, but we actually need to not carry the fragrance of the mess of our life, but carry the fragrance of Christ to the world around us so that they can smell and taste that God is good. What's interesting is that the aroma of her worship filled the room in such a way that it didn't only reveal what was going on in her heart, it actually revealed what was going on in the hearts of every other person in the room. You see, when there's a laid down lover in the room, breaking open extravagant and costly worship, heart motives are always exposed. When true worship takes place, there is a response that is demanded. I want to press on something for a few moments that's really important. There's a big difference between reaction and response. We often talk about this when it comes to our emotional health, right? Oh, don't react. Take your time and make sure you respond. But I want to talk about this for a moment when it comes to our worship, when it comes to our intimacy. You see, response is what takes place when we get a revelation of God's face. Didn't mean to rhyme there, but hey, Holy Spirit, have at it. Response is what takes place when we get a revelation of God's face. So true worship from man's perspective, from mankind's perspective, is a revelation of who God is and then a response. We see natural worship happening all the time. Now the cat has got up this weekend, right? See? 
he was responding to a revelation of how good the cats were. Thank you, Steve. You're working with me today too. Good work. We see this in humanity. We're all wired to worship. We get a revelation of something like the football that we think is amazing and we naturally worship. That's just misplaced worship. But that is the pure definition of what worship is. To see, get a revelation of something that is greater, bigger, worthy than us and then to respond. Reaction is what takes place when the flesh is satisfied, when the flesh is satiated, when the flesh is triggered, when the flesh is satisfied with earthly or carnal things, things that don't really hold much weight with God but do with man. What do I mean by this when it comes to our worship? Well, I can react to God in a worship moment when it's my favourite song. Or when I like how dark or light the room is, when I have a a, a good opinion of the worship leader who's on, I can respond to God's word if it's my favourite passage, if it's from the Old Testament, if it's a preacher I like. This is reacting, right? The problem is reaction often masquerades with all the actions of spirit and truth worship. Sometimes we don't even realise our heart motive is off. I sometimes stand in worship and part of my role for the church is to look at the lights and look at the sound and look at all the things I have to really guard that I don't only worship when everything's looking right because actually that would be reaction not response because by pure biblical definition worship is only possible when we receive a revelation of God's face and then we respond it's got nothing to do with the song choice with the lights Nothing to do with it. That's earthly stuff. And when it's done from a heart of worship, it can all contribute to wonderful worship environments. Don't hear what I'm not saying, right? Sound people, we love you. You're very important. (laughs) But there is a big difference between reaction and response. And these are the hairs that the Holy Spirit is splitting right now. Mary, in our passage, was responding. She had a fresh revelation of Jesus' power. Just the chapter before, he'd stood at her brother's tomb. He'd been dead like four days, had a good stink on. And Jesus was like, Lazarus, come forth. She saw Jesus bring her brother back to life. So there's no reaction in this moment for her of like, whoa, the big wigs in town. This was response because he just raised her brother from the dead, pulled him out of a tomb with just a word. And this entire dinner and gathering was about celebrating the fact that her brother had been brought back to life. And Mary's response was to lavishly worship. Why? Because she had a fresh revelation which led to fresh worship. There's a key to maintaining a posture of a laid down lover. If you're finding worship difficult, if you think as I'm speaking, actually, I think maybe I'm stuck in reaction. Can I encourage you, don't try harder. Just look at Jesus longer. Because when you get a full glimpse of who he is, when you receive even a 0.00001% revelation of his majesty, his goodness, his kindness, his love, his grace, you won't be able to hold back your response and your worship. We don't have to conjure anything up. All we have to do is look at Jesus and worship will follow. You know, when we get a fresh revelation of his face, I found our natural response is not to elevate ourselves, but actually to go low. 
The Israelite priests, we read, fell on their faces when God's glory filled the temple. Isaiah, when God came into the room and said the the train of his robe filled the temple, Isaiah falls down. He says, woe is me, a man of unclean lips. He was a priest and a prophet. What was happening to him? God was dealing with the one percenters. Daniel fell on his face when God revealed himself to him in a vision. Joshua also fell on his face when he got a revelation of God. And John, Revelation tells us, he fell down like he was dead because he was so overcome by this revelation of risen Jesus. It's the same for us. When we get a true revelation of the magnitude of our God, our response will be to go low. When I see people fighting for position, why aren't I on the worship leading roster? Why aren't I doing this song? I know they have more of a revelation of themselves than they do of God. And that's okay because we're on a journey, right? I know that how I can help them and disciple them is let's love the gift giver more than the gift. Let's love the caller more than the calling. You know, on what um, I'm kind of calling the Super Bowl Sunday in our church life. This was that Sunday a few weeks ago. I don't, who was there um, the Sunday after uh, Revival Conference? Did any of you come in at night time, right? And you walked in and you were like, what is happening? Well, we started a service at nine in the morning and we finished about quarter past nine at night. Um, so I call that Super Bowl Sunday. And we lost all sense of time. I hadn't eaten all day and yet I wasn't even really hungry. And I didn't actually get up off the floor at one stage. I was having this encounter. All the music had stopped and um, people were being delivered of demonic presence in their life. Some people were just in this space where they could see Jesus and I felt like I'd been transported to the pages of the New Testament. When Jesus walked, would walk into a village, like when it describes the woman with the issue of blood and she reached out and touched him and was healed, it was like he was walking through the auditorium. There wouldn't have been a band when he walked through a village. It was like it came to life for me, the, the pages of the Bible. I was like, oh, this is happening. Heaven's hit earth. Yeah. And I, my response was go low. And I went, go, I went low for three hours and then I tried to get up and had a bit of trouble walking and one of my friends, Beck, took me to the bathroom and I looked in the mirror and I was like, oh, oh dear, oh dear me. And, and she said to me, just don't look. It's best you don't look. This was Joel's wife, Beck. She was like, Stace, it's best you just don't look. I actually looked like Rocky Balboa, not pre-fight. Post. Both my eyes had swelled up. I had like, it was not pretty. And then add to that, I'd had this throat infection in the lead up to conference. So I was on these like hectic, strong antibiotics because I was like, doctor, I've got to sing. Like, give me the drugs. So he gave me these very strong drugs, but then I had an allergic reaction to them. I know, I know. You weren't even the one looking in the mirror. I got like all these purple dots all over my forehead, all the way down to here. So if you were like at conference, man, is she wearing an inch of makeup? Yeah, (laughs) trying to cover that. What's funny about that is in the lead up to conference, I'd prayed this prayer. I want you and I don't care what the cost is. I don't care what it looks like. (laughs) And then he's like, let's see. Let's see about that. Here's the thing. When we get a revelation of his face, we no longer care about saving our own face. 
we don't jostle for position anymore. Our favourite place to be is going low, a laid-down lover. You know, spiritual growth is is accelerated when we live as laid-down lovers. His presence is like a rapid growth incubator. Intimacy is the true source of all supernatural power. It's the source of what you need. I mean, the secret source of what you need to share Jesus confidently. It's all found in his presence. And he is looking for laid down lovers. You see, when true worship takes place, sacrifice must be made. The design of Mary's vessel that we read about here had this really long, thin neck. So thin you couldn't like tip it up and pour drops out. The design of it was you had to smash the top off and you had to pour it all out and it could no longer be preserved. So in other words, she had to give it all or she had to give nothing. She couldn't save any. You know, this is what this season is like in our worship. We have to give it all or we may as well give nothing. And often it's our wills that have to be broken for our worship to be authentic. You know, we're seeing many, many exciting things happen in this season, right? But there's a human side to that. There's been a few times, maybe maybe more than a few. <laughs> there's been a few times per day or hour in the last few weeks where I'm like, I don't know if I can hack this. I don't actually know if I can do this pace, just in the natural, right? Um, you know, we've got teenage children now. You can't just kind of be like, you know, your jobs and your sport and school, done. We're, we're in revival. Like, that stuff has to keep happening, right? So when you're trying to make, uh, not, actually, just be honest, Stacey. When you think you're trying to make three or four revival nights a week happen, and you're like, well, who's feeding them? They can't have Maccas again. They can't, like, Uber Eats out backstage again and get that delivered. Like, mummy's baked, here comes dinner, it's Big Macs again. <laughs> That's the realness of it, right? And so I'm saying to God, I don't know if I can sustain this. And he said, go to John 15. I was sitting outside in the sun on one sunny day in Melbourne in the last 12 months, (laughs) just getting some vitamin D, and I opened up John 15. And then he spoke so clearly to me, you do not have to sustain this. You didn't start it. You won't sustain it, and you won't finish it. And it was like just this pressure came off. And then he said, I will sustain if you remain. Your job, Stacey, is just to remain, just to abide, just to live as a laid down lover. And I will sustain whatever it is I'm doing in the church right now. Revival is not convenient, is it? This thing's blown my life up. Anyone else? Holla. But here's the thing, hunger leaks and fire dies down unless we make a personal daily decision to put another log on the fire, to keep stoking the hunger within our hearts. I want to talk for a little bit longer about Mary's sacrifice here. Do you know what she was willing to bring open, break open? Historians actually tell us was probably her dowry. So obviously in the culture of the day, women needed a husband. They needed the provision. They had no education. They had no way of earning money. They needed to be married to have safety and provision in their future. And she was a single woman who had this perfume as what she could offer for a marriage arrangement. 
And it was this that she broke open on Jesus' feet. In other words, what she was doing in this act was betrothing herself to Jesus. She was making a statement that said, nothing on earth can truly protect me. You're my protector. You're my husband. You're my provider. And if I remain in you, you will sustain me. You will take care of everything else. I'm going to ask myself a question. Would I be able to pour that out? Would I be able to go low if that was my security for the future? I want to ask you the same thing today. Are you able to break open what seems to be the sureness of your security in the future? Where do we truly place our value? I want us to notice that the conflict and the controversy that happened in the room as a result of her worship happened when she'd poured everything out. Nobody had a problem with her when she was just sitting at Jesus' feet. It was when she broke it open and poured herself out as a laid down lover that people started to get a little bit upset. Why? Because the flesh will always despise demonstrative acts of worship. The flesh doesn't love a laid down lover. In verse 4, we read that Judas, one of his disciples, notice in brackets, he was about to betray Jesus, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? We know from the rest of the verse, it's not because he cared about the poor. It's not like he was off doing mission work. It was because he was stealing money from the money bag. And he was like, well, look at her wasting money. Maybe if she'd sold that and we'd put it in the money bag, I could have taken some off the top of that. It's when she adored him to the point that the fragrance of her worship filled the room that Judas rose up. I tell you something, nobody's going to try and steal your half-hearted worship. It's when it costs you something that the enemy really cares about it. His assignment today, it's interesting, his original assignment was the worship leader of heaven. His current assignment today, John 10.10, is to steal, kill, and destroy. I don't have time to unpack this fully, but the difference in the middle was pride. He couldn't go low. He didn't want to live as a laid-down lover. He wanted to live as a big deal. He couldn't reflect God's glory. He wanted glory for himself. He couldn't live like Mary did. Pride got in the way, and so his assignment was changed. Pride in our lives can change our assignment. We can go from being the worship leader to one who steals, kills, and destroys like Judas. If pride creeps into our hearts, pride is the exact opposite of what a laid-down lover carries. John 10, 10, where it says he's come to steal, kill, and destroy, that second word, kill, is actually a word, it's the word thuo in the Old Testament. It's the exact word that's described for the sacrifices they had to make to be able to stand into God's presence. So the priests would sacrifice an animal so that people could enter God's presence. This is the same word. So what it's telling us about the way Satan works is when you're willing to pay a price to be a laid down lover, he's going to go after that. And the way he's going to go after it, he's not so obvious, he's just going to walk in and be like, I'm going to steal your voice. I'm going to just uh, take that keyboard home today. Not like that. He's going to make you think it's too hard. 
sorting my four kids out, sorting out Uber Eats again, too hard, he gets up in the natural stuff of life. And what we do is go, actually, it's too hard. And so we sacrifice it up. And what he's done is stolen from us. And he used us to do it. He hates what's happening right now in the church. He hates it when somebody's willing to go low. And what's interesting is that Judas represents the flesh or Satan in this picture. He's trying to steal Mary's worship. Can I tell you today, be very careful what you say about a laid down lover. Because like Judas, you may just become Satan's mouthpiece. A laid down lover's confronting. I've lived this, being a confronting person for a long time now. People often misunderstand the way I worship. They love to email me about it. They love to tell me when I meet them in the foyer. And I have choices to make, right? Do I diminish myself and my expression from my revelation so that people can be happy? Or do I continue to get a revelation of his face and respond and don't literally give a rip what anybody thinks? Some days that's easy, some days that's hard. Verse 6 says that Judas was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. It's really interesting that that word money bag there in the original language is tongue bag. Yeah, like tongue. So weird, right? Actually, what this tells us is that Judas was a musician. He's from the tribe of Judah, which means praise. So his original role was to carry reeds around in his tongue bag, reeds that he would have put on a reed instrument, or reed pipe it's called. King David designed it in the temple um, to bring praise to God. They literally ran out of words to sing of how good God was, so David started inventing instruments. And one of them was a reed pipe, and Judas originally played that. So he carried this bag across his body so that at any time when we needed like the Joel of the day to get up and make things feel Holy Spirit, that was Judas. Get out the reed pipe and play and usher in God's presence. But what we read here is he threw away his worship. He emptied that bag out and he let a spirit of control take over him. And he began to use that to store money he was stealing. He'd thrown away his worship to steal. And then he criticised her worship. Most of the time, I'm being real honest today, why Lord, help. When people criticise me for whatever they think is too extravagant or too showy or whatever they think it is when I'm responding to God, They're trying to steal. Steal my worship and steal my expression. And there's been days I've let them. Don't let anyone steal your worship because normally they're meant to be a worshipper themselves and they've thrown it away to become judgmental and partner with the spirit of control. They don't often mean it, but it's the way the enemy's trying to work in all of us. I just want to encourage you, Judas was walking alongside Jesus more than Mary, because she was a woman. Judas was walking alongside of Jesus everywhere. In this move of God, can we not become too familiar? 
that we're walking right alongside of Jesus and yet we don't live laid down. We live stealing a bit of this for myself, stealing a bit of that for myself. According to his original DNA, he should have been on the floor with Mary worshipping. Instead, he was in the corner somewhere cutting a deal to hand Jesus over for 30 denarii. She poured out 300. He sold him for 30 His estimation, his revelation of who Jesus was because he'd grown so familiar was one-tenth of her estimation of who Jesus was because she had a fresh revelation. He just resurrected her brother. I want us to notice the last thing today, and Joel, you can come. Laid down lovers move the heart of God. I want us to look for a moment in the previous chapter, chapter 11. If you've got your Bible, flick with me. It's just back a page. Because this is really interesting. And we often, you know, sometimes we read over things in the Bible and we don't take notice of them. This, was, this is one of those. I want us to look carefully at it. So Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. Martha hears that Jesus is coming into the village. If you read all of the end of 10 and 11, you can read in the subtext that Martha hears Jesus is coming and she goes and meets him out on the road before he even makes it into town. And she's standing up and he's standing up because he's walking. So they're standing up face to face and she says this to him in verse 21 of 11. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. What's really interesting is that then Jesus says, okay, Martha, he deals with her functionally. I'm going to raise your brother from the dead. He talks to her standing up like this. I'm going to raise your brother from the dead. Do you know that I'm the Christ? Do you believe that I'm the Christ? They have this like conversation. And then he says, now go get me Mary. So Martha takes off. She goes to Mary and she says, Jesus is here and he's asking for you, Mary. So Mary quickly gets up. She runs to where Jesus is and she falls down at His feet. And look at what phrase she says in verse 32. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's exactly the same thing as what her sister said. But one's standing up face to face and one is gone low, laid down at His feet and made this statement. Now, where Jesus replied to Martha and said, well, here's what I'm going to do. And He loves her and He lets her in on what the future is going to look like. What does He do with Mary? The Word says that His spirit was so greatly troubled at what she was feeling. He was responding heart to heart, not face to face. That then Jesus wept. He knew He was about to raise Lazarus. But this laid down lover moved his heart so much, he reflected back to her the relationship she brought to him. You can have the level of relationship with Jesus that you choose. You can stand up and you can talk functionally or you can go low. You can live your life as a laid down lover and he will stop and he will feel what you feel. We talk a lot about God. Make my heart your make my heart your heart, and that's all right, and that's all good. But do you know what? He'll reflect your heart back to you, because that's what friends do. Friends share with one another; they feel things for one another, and you can have that with Jesus if you will choose to live as a laid down lover.
It's not that laid down lovers just spend their life laying around on their face. It's that their moments being laid down actually cause them to want to get up and serve out of love for Him and they can't stop sharing Jesus confidently. Laid down lovers don't serve for intimacy, they serve from it. You know, when people share Jesus with you, you can tell when someone's been with Him or when someone knows about Him. And in the same way as Mary's posture produced a different response from Jesus, if you take the posture of a laid down lover and you say, I want you to meet who I know. I want you to know what I have found. He's changed everything for me. He took my broken life. He placed it back together. He put me on my feet. He lifted my head and He said, now go forth and share what I've done for you. When someone shares like that with you, you can't help but say, tell me more about this Jesus who's made a difference in your life. That's what's available to us in this season. That we live the kind of life where we lay down lovers. From that place, we go and we share Jesus confidently. Not a set of facts, not a religious formula, but life change, intimacy that puts us back on our feet. Down, up, down, up. That's how we're designed to live. And so while every head is bowed and eye is closed, I want to ask you a very confronting question today. And it is a confronting question. I acknowledge that. In this season, are you taking the posture of Judas or of Mary? Are you up in the corner looking at the laid down lovers at revival nights and like, don't they know how else they could be using their time? you a laid down lover on your face before the Lord, feeling His heart, Him feeling yours, sharing intimately with Him. Because you and I have a choice. We get to choose our posture in this season. And I want to tell you, it would be easy when we do a series like sharing Jesus confidently to think Jesus needs a result from you. He wants relationship with you more than He wants results from you. And so for the next few moments, normally we do altar calls like come forward and I'm going to pray this for you and you're going to receive this from God and that from God. But today, my instruction from God is very clear to open the altars and to invite you to come and minister to Jesus. And so I'm opening it right now. You're not responding to me. You're responding to Jesus. And you come and we're just going to worship for the next few minutes. I want you, if God is speaking to you now, to come and minister to Jesus. Joel and the team are going to lead us. And come and you just be with Jesus. Forget everybody else in the room. Don't look at me. Don't look at the person beside you. Just look at Jesus. And you take the posture that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. 
Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.